Hey, and welcome to The Living Stone, a digital ministry from Greystone Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Here's this week's scripture reading and sermon. Today's scripture reading comes from Exodus 16, verses 1 through 18. The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elam, and Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way I will test them, whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you shall know that it is that it was the Lord who brought you out to the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard the complaining that you utter against him, what are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, Draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked toward the wilderness, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the clouds. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread and the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each of your needs, and omer to the person according to the number of persons, all providing for those in their own tents. The Israelites did so, some gathering more, some less. But when they measured it, but when they measured it with an omer, they, those who gathered much had nothing over, and those who gathered little had no shortage. They gathered as much as each of them needed. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, David, for reading the long scripture reading for today. There is so much in this text. I love it uh, so much that when the staff asked me, really, do we have to read all 18 verses in church? You know, it's a 50-minute service. Do we need to read it all? I glanced at it and said, yes, we do. I don't know if we'll preach on all of it, but we need to read it all because it's a great story. 
this week, as we anticipate the camping weekend, I can imagine all of us coming out of our tents in the morning to survey the dew and to ask ourselves, what do we need for today? Um, but I also know that April has uh, been planning long and hard, and so we don't have to worry about that. So a sermon could be on this text, could be on the, the wilderness of sin, the language that opens the reading in uh, Exodus today. It could be uh, focusing on the complaints of the Israelites or the nature of God who responds by provision, even when our words to God are complaints. It could be the promise that we find in that. It could be examining the words of the Israelites to God as they are wondering. But today, because we are in the middle of a stewardship series on our money story, we are going to explore the theme of living like we remember and figuring out what stories exist in our own lives for us to remember. In the Thursday email this week, I asked you to remember your money stories. If you don't receive the emails, that was really the question, was, was what stories do you remember about money? Who taught you those stories? And how do they inform your relationship with money now? Well, I don't believe in asking you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. And so I wanted to take a minute to just share some of the money stories that I remember from my early days. I wonder if your stories will sound anything like mine. The first money story I ever remember is standing in some grocery store line somewhere with my mother and my older sister tugging on her uh, clothing, asking if she could buy me something that they have in those dreadful aisles right before the checkout, you know, where kids can just grab things and demand that parents, you know, pay for them. Mom said something along the lines of, no, Chrissy, we don't have money for that right now. And I said, well, that's okay. You can just write a check. That was the day I learned that you have to have money in a bank account somewhere in order to write a good check. I thought it was just, you know, an, a, a blank check. I can also remember the little brown bowls with the white lids that I used to get in Sunday school. Were those for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering? Yeah, I think they were supposed to look like a bowl full of rice. Well, I always love a challenge. And so even as a child, when my Sunday school teacher handed me the bowl, I was excited about a tangible opportunity to prove my devotion and commitment to the church. And so I remember going around to friends, family, church members, anybody I could find who might have some spare change in their pockets, asking them to donate it to my rice bowl so that when the time came in worship for the children to process in with the bowls, mine would be full, if not overflowing. That was how I learned that you have to give your money to the church. You have to have money in the bank account to write a check, and you have to give your money to the church. Two very important lessons I learned in my early years. Over the years, like many of you, I picked up on other stories, both spoken and observed. Stories that formed and informed the ways that I thought about money. What are the stories that you remember hearing? And what are the stories that you remember observing? And who were the people who taught you along the way? 
Although the story that the church most often tells about money is rather monolithic, derived from the book of Leviticus chapter 16, which in a nutshell says that one-tenth of everything that the land produces belongs to the Lord. That's where we get the, the idea of the tithe. Although this tends to be the only story we tell about God and about money, the truth is there are innumerable examples in our Bibles that tell us stories about the multifaceted, complex, and interconnected nature of our money stories and our faith stories. In fact, some might argue that the entire story is both a spiritual story and an economic story. And one, uh, that one would be hard-pressed to begin to separate the two if you read the Bible and watch how the relationship between God and God's people plays out beginning to end. Today's reading takes us back to the early days when the people of Israel were recently liberated from the Pharaoh's slave quarters into the wild and unpredictable freedom of wilderness. Here, Israel is immediately thrust into a whole new life. You remember for generations, all they knew was the steady balance of labor and provision that Pharaoh both demanded and provided. But once their feet hit the dry land on the other side of the parted Red Sea, you remember that part of the story, right? Once their feet hit the dry land... On the other side of the Red Sea, the guarantees of Egypt were gone. Of course, the story of Pharaoh and Israel goes way, way back. You know, back to Genesis when Joseph is sold by his brothers with all the layers of history and hindsight. Though we often tell this story, the one we read today, as a simple story of God's providence, God's faithfulness and God's deliverance. And don't get me wrong, it, it is a story about God's providence and faithfulness and God's deliverance, but let's not be so fixated on those more classically spiritual terms that we fail to see the very mechanism through which God provides and proves to be faithful is through God's alternative economy. Economics and faith woven together. In the wilderness, without the certainty of Pharaoh's provision, Israel is reliant upon God's provision. And it's in the wilderness of this great uncertainty that God teaches the people the rules of engagement. Whereas in Egypt, everybody worked around the clock, like hamsters in one of those wheels. There was no time to stop, no time to rest, no time to even enjoy the fruits of one's own labor. No, every ounce of production went to increase Pharaoh's property and pantries, which apparently were quite well stocked, seeing as whenever famine struck the land, where did people go for food? Pharaoh. Yet despite all the evidence pointing to the probability that Pharaoh had more than enough, he was still plagued by jealousy, greed, and anxiety. This, of course, is evidenced by the fact that he had dreams, nightmares even, about what? 
famine, and starvation. And as a result, he hired Joseph to help him plan and manage the risk of those nightmares becoming reality. Y'all remember the stories, right? It is from this environment, this culture dominated by an endless rat race of labor, always trying to mitigate risk and minimize need by accumulating more and more and more. It is from that specific environment that Israel emerges into the wilderness. No wonder it took them 40 years to be ready for the promised land. There was a lot of reprogramming that needed to happen. And y'all know how it is when we have to be reprogrammed or reoriented from one reality to another. We don't like it, do we? It's hard. It's uncomfortable. It stretches us and it leaves us longing for the ways things used to be. But these seasons of reprogramming happen all the time in the stories of our faith. In fact, they happen so much that we have a special spiritual word for them. That word, of course, is transformation. Have you heard that at church before? Do not be conformed to this world, writes the Apostle Paul in Romans, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Although it may be Paul who gave us the spiritual language of transformation, the evidence of God's transforming presence with us is present throughout all the stories of the Bible. And perhaps none more significant than in the stories of the Exodus, when the people are at their lowest, most vulnerable, broken point. So here we are today, reading the story of wilderness and seeing how God is transforming the people. Transforming them from slaves of Pharaoh's anxiety to stewards of God's abundance. In his assessment of this transformative experience in Exodus 16, Walter Brueggemann identifies three major lessons that underscore the movement from Pharaoh's economy of anxiety to God's economy of abundance. And I know it's a little cliche to have a three-point sermon, a poem, and a conclusion, but I do want to share his three points with you because I think they're really good. So Brueggemann says, first, there is enough. That's the first lesson of God's abundance. There is enough, but it has to be shared. Second, the gifts of God. The gifts must not be stored up because storing up resources is anxiety-driven and fear-based. And third, in God's economy, there must be time for rest. No more hamster wheel. Rest. Sabbath. Even though this story probably isn't included in the over 2,300 specific references to money in the Bible, and even though this story isn't exactly about tithing, these three lessons from the wilderness seem to be important for us to include as we begin to build our money stories. 
These seem like important stories to remember as we ourselves attempt to write our own story about our personal relationship with God and how that impacts the way that we invest our time, our talents, and our resources. It may not be a list of explicit instructions like the rules that we find in other places of the Bible, but as we remember the story of the Israelites' movement through the wilderness and the transformation that comes with it, we also remember that we too are in our own pilgrimage from Pharaoh's economy to God's economy. And so it might serve us well to remember the ancient story and to begin to apply the principles to our own lives. Do you remember them? In God's economy, there is enough, but we have to share. The gifts must not be stored up because that is anxiety-driven and fear-based behavior. And number three, maybe the hardest one for us to implement, in God's economy, we must make time for rest. The Israelites learn these lessons as they live in the wilderness, reliant upon God for meat and manna and water. And though they may not have known it at the time, this experience of wilderness provision would become an identity-shaping moment for them. They may not have known it at the time, but this would be part of the story that they would tell and retell as they gathered around Seder tables, even to this day. And so it makes me wonder, what are the stories that we are living now? What are the stories we are telling now? How are we telling them? How are we remembering them? Who is teaching them to our children? And how are we honoring them with our everyday lives and with all of our resources? What is our money story? It can be tempting for sure to forget these stories. To forget the stories of God's faithfulness, God's deliverance, God's provision, especially when we are dealing with our own real-time, in this day, in this moment, money. We still live in Pharaoh's economy. When times get tough, I find myself feeling anxiety and fear and reverting back to those old patterns of scarcity and fear and anxiety, especially where it comes to money. But when those seasons come for me, I really try to root myself in some of my own family stories. This is why it's important for us to identify where our stories come from. One of the stories that helps me in those most anxious days is a story about Grandma Tatum. She was a child of the Great Depression, and she remembered the days when everything was scarce, when many people did not have the things that they needed. Everybody was worried about how and if they were going to make it through, but by the grace of God, Grandma's family made it through, always with enough to eat and always with enough to share. Remember that first lesson. There is enough but we have to share it. She never forgot the story that her parents told through their actions around their table when she was growing up. And she embodied those stories and retold them to her her child who retold them to me. 
And there was a little phrase which we say to one another that Grandma picked up along the way in addition to the observed behaviors, the little phrase that she used to say all the time when any of us would go to her in a moment of stress was simple. Money is just a tool, she would say. It's an important tool, it's a helpful tool, but it's not the only tool. And it's just a tool. Grandma was never the preachy type. But the transformation that she experienced in her childhood through the telling and modeling of stories shaped her into one of the most joyful and generous people I have ever known. And I hope to tell that same story with my words and with my actions. And every time I find myself tempted to fall prey to Pharaoh's mentality of scarcity and anxiety, when that temptation comes, I remember the story of Grandma Tatum and her example. And I remember the story of the Exodus The freedom from captivity and the wilderness that followed with all of its uncertainty. And I remember the ways that God provided. That God provided in that wilderness. And I remember how closely tied are our economic stories and our faith stories. You can't separate the two. So today, as we continue on this journey of stewardship, as we begin to parse apart and maybe build a new money story, I ask ourselves the same question that we began with today. What is our money story? What's the story we tell with our mouths? And what is the story we are telling with our lives? I wonder if it's a story rooted in scarcity and anxiety, or if it is a story rooted in faith. What is our money story? Does it need to be transformed? Lord, we can only hope that you would do that transforming work. Amen.